Before we get going today, I thought I'd mention what makes this episode a bit unique. Usually, we cover questions and issues around food to help give you an idea of just what the inside of the food industry is looking like today. But we want to start a new series instead that we're going to run occasionally. Top of the Food Chain is going to be one-on-one conversations with people leading various food companies. It could be a farmer, maybe the CEO of a seed company or of a grocery chain. Today, though, it's on the food processing side. So if you have any ideas of who you'd like to hear from, all you have to do is send me a note via social media. My handle is Fresh Air Farmer. Hope you enjoy. Our vision as a Canadian dairy vision, it has to stretch beyond the store next door. It has to stretch to a global marketplace as well. That's the boss at Gay Lee Foods Cooperative. It's a 61-year-old company that's been in a comfortable position, let's say, for a lot of years. It sits as a smaller player among Canada's dairy processors behind the bigger Saputo, AgriPure, and Parmalat, but over the last number of years has decided its sole focus in Ontario isn't going to be good enough. It was about sustainability, and sustainability as a singular Ontario entity was not necessarily going to work in a global dairy environment. And then also being able to understand that the methodology that we used before wasn't necessarily going to be the methodology on a go-forward basis. We've got lots of subjects to cover, including that strategy for growth, why the president and CEO of a company selling $840 million worth of product goes to camp for a week in the summer, and why in the world would a dairy processor that's owned by dairy farmers start selling a product that doesn't contain any dairy? It's Michael Barrett, President and CEO of Gailey Foods Cooperative, in our inaugural edition here at Food Bubble with our series Top of the Food Chain. And it's right after this. Knowing you've chosen the best insurance company to protect your business should not be complicated. If you have a farm, you need a farm insurance expert. Trillium Mutual's real Ontario farm insurance brokers understand the unique needs of your farm operation. Trust them to provide you with the best coverage across Ontario. To find a real Ontario farm insurance broker near you, visit TrilliumMutual.com and follow them on Facebook and Twitter at Trillium Mutual for tips on how to protect what matters most to you. When you head into the depths of Mississauga, Ontario, you find a maze of office towers, warehouses, and streets that seem to come to life through the week, but have an eerie sense of desertion after 5 o'clock. But among those is the head office of Gailey Foods Cooperative. It's a company that sells $840 million worth of product, at least that's what they sold last year. Its more popular items include butter, fluid milks, cottage cheese, and the whipped cream you spray out of a can. Being a cooperative, it's owned by 1,400 farms in Ontario and Manitoba, most of them cow dairy farms, but some goat dairy farms in there as well. And in this office is the head of the company, Michael Barrett, a father of six that crosses the city of Toronto every morning around 5 a.m. and has been with the company for 20 years this month, having roles in HR and operations before taking this top job five years ago. So naturally, the first question has to be about you, Michael. And I'm curious because I doubt you dream as a kid of being the CEO of a dairy company. So what did you actually want to become when you were a kid? 
Well, I can remember very distinctly at age four saying to uh, my mother when she said, uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? I said, I wanted to be president and CEO of Gailey Foods. Just like that. No wonder you got the job. (laughs) Just like that. No, uh, certainly uh, I have not taken a traditional path uh, to leadership within the dairy sector. I wanted to be a history teacher. And certainly I have my uh, history degree in Canadian, European, and American history, which is actually serving well today, um, and attended uh, Teachers College in Althaus uh, in London. And certainly my life in, was envisioned in standing in front of a classroom, trying to be able to teach the lessons of history so we wouldn't be foolish enough to repeat them. But fairly early on, you switched to HR. Why did that change happen? Uh, When I graduated from Teachers College, it was probably one of the worst times to be able to um, uh, graduate from Teachers College, and jobs were very, very tough to be able to get. Similar environment that we're entering into now. And uh, so therefore, understanding, and I taught part-time for both the old Etobicoke Board of Education and the Durham Board of Education, and uh, could not get a full-time job. History, everybody teaches history. Uh, Everybody likes to teach geography. And when I got married and when kid number five came along, I said to my wife, I need to make a career change because we need uh, to be able to have something permanent and we needed benefits to be able to start paying for birth control. (laughs) So then, now I I kind of see a bit of a path that um, certainly from the education side of things, you you didn't completely disappear from the world of education because I find this to be almost one of the most fascinating things is that a lot of CEOs, um, you know, heads of board of directors, things like that, I see sit on other boards of directors, but you go out and you campaign to become a trustee for a low-paying, thankless job on a school board. Um and you've done it for 20 years. Why do that? Well, certainly having the number of children that I have, um, certainly education is an important component, obviously. And obviously with my background, I've developed this phrase that says, those who can't teach, I didn't invent that one, but I said, those who can't teach, trustee. So, um, so certainly from that perspective, to me, leadership is not just about being able to make sure that it furthers one's own ends. It's also being able to make change. And the education field, obviously, I have a bias towards it, that education is a critical component. And for me, being able to make sure that there's voice within the education system is important to me. And so certainly, yes, I have spent uh, a great deal of my, quote unquote, free time in being able to not only be a trustee for my community, but also chair the board. And then also having led the provincial association for four years as well. Because I believe it's important that we give back. It's critically important to a leadership model that doesn't just have meets its own ends. It has to be able to look at what do you leave behind. The legacy component is very important. And I really don't believe there's anything greater than the children in the education that we have Using that, I mean, education is critical was the word you used. And I see, you know, within Gay Lee itself, um, you know, you put, 
you know, kids of members into leadership training as kids. I mean, the Gailey Museum now has taken over kind of as the campground for the um, Cooperative Young Leaders Program. Um, then when they're young members, you offer leadership training. When they're a little older members, you offer leadership training. Um, when they're board of directors or um, on the as delegates, you offer leadership training. I mean, you must spend a fortune as a company on education. Why? Well, and I guess that's, uh, uh, I've been asked this question before, and I've said that, because uh, uh, Gailey certainly is uh, at the forefront of training and developing training. And I know that we certainly have been recognized officially on a number of occasions. And also we're recognized North American-wise as well for our commitment to training both on the governance delegate and director side as well. But I say that when you have a teacher or an ex-teacher as a CEO, there is an inherent bias in being able to recognizing, recognizing that teaching or training or education or development is an important piece. Because to me, it is about being able to establish that legacy piece. For training here at Gailey Foods, being able on when you're talking delegates and the board, the greatest, I think, strength the co-op has and the key to its survival and its longevity is being able to make sure that we have a very strong board. And the only way that you can certainly have a strong board is to make sure that they always have the skill sets. You don't hire necessarily an individual for all the skill sets they have because certainly in a democracy, like being a trustee, you don't necessarily pick all the skill sets, but you certainly provide the opportunity to develop the skill sets. So you hire for the soul, and then you train for the role. That's been kind of our adage at Gailey Foods. You don't always hire the person that has the skill sets. You don't always get elected the right individual. But if you can provide that training and opportunity, you've got to have a strong board. The history, and again, being the history teacher, if you examine why cooperatives fail, it's typically because the board has not exercised its role or its governance methodologies properly. And that is an important legacy piece for Gay Lee. The reality is we're, not, we're all not here forever. But what do you want to leave behind? And what we want to be able to make sure that we leave behind is a strong, focused cooperative. And that's going to be based on training. So we do that for not only for our board and delegate, but we run programs in-house, as you talked about the Cooperative Young Leaders. And I've been asked the question many times, you as CEO probably have better things to do than to give up a week in the summer to be able to teach 14 and 15-year-olds about leadership. And my adage is always, why shouldn't a CEO be able to do that? Is But why do you do it? Is why shouldn't we not do it? Because it's an important piece. You need to be able to get dirty, get sprayed with paint. Uh, you need to be able to impart wisdom. But I actually come away from each one of those weeks a better leader because if you can lead 14 and 15-year-olds, you have the skill set to be able to lead an organization. And when you can learn from a 14-year-old, you're never too big uh, or eagle-filled enough to recognize that leadership doesn't end today. It's a continuous journey. Well, let's talk about that investment because I've heard lots of people, you know, in other organizations say, oh, no, we can't spend that kind of money. One, we either don't have the money or two... You know, we're just going to train them and they're going to disappear and they're going to go off somewhere else. How, how do you counter that, well, negativity towards the idea of the training? Well, certainly, and, and that's, that, those are very good questions and very strong uh, messages that, I, that we do here constantly. And I'll give 
uh, the Board of Gailey Foods credit. It's very easy to be able to reduce programming. It's very easy to be able to stop expenditures. Uh, but when you look at the return that you get, it's much broader. And I know it can't always be measured in an ROI, but sometimes it can be. But if you look at being able to, the, you know, why do we do it, it's not as much about being able to understand <clears throat> that um, not doing it. It's about what the value and the values that you create by doing it. So, yes, we could increase returns to our members. Um, and sometimes we train employees and they take our training and get better jobs. And sometimes we give our delegates training or members training and they don't use them at Gailey Foods. They use them in other community organizations. So the way I think of it is we're creating disciples. So if we teach the right value system, if we teach the right methodology and how to be able to treat people, if we teach strong governance, then I think that we have at least had that ability to be able to influence what else happens. I, I want to talk, kind of move into Gay Lee and, I mean, in your five-ish years at the top, there has been some pretty incredible expansion um, of Gay Lee Foods from picking up, um, you know, well, you mentioned Alberta, um, other operations, Hewitt's Dairy, um, partnerships in Manitoba, all of these types of things. That's a pretty big move for an organization that's I mean 61 years I'm not I don't want to say that you know history drags it down but certainly you know there's some ideas that you know that you know we're comfortable where we are you've pushed Gay Lee out of their comfort zone um how's the expansion been over the last few years and, and why go after so much more market share well, certainly, uh, back up two steps is that certainly when I was hired as president and CEO, we uh, invested in the time to be able to determine uh, as Gailey Foods where you wanted to be able to head. So in the partnership between a board uh, with a senior management team, recognizing that we wanted to be able to create a different journey. And so therefore, being able to establish that as goals and targets was important. And I would say that's certainly based upon uh, without going too far back, on the whole governance training piece that talked about, you know, what is the role of a board and the most important role for the board is being able to establish vision and strategy. Uh, and the most important role for management is to be able to act on the vision and strategy that your board uh, inspires you to be able to, to work towards. So certainly we spent a great deal of time when I first became um, president and being able to establish that vision. And the board and membership made it clear that while certainly pleased with the history of Gailey Foods and where we've gotten to, we also wanted to be able to create a different and stronger vision about what we wanted to be able to do. And it was certainly about growth. It was about sustainability. And sustainability as a singular Ontario entity was not necessarily going to work in a global dairy environment. And then also being able to understand that the methodology that we used before wasn't necessarily going to be the methodology on a go-forward basis. So that old adage that if you only have a hammer in your toolbox, every problem resembles a nail, uh, recognizing that um, although we'd only had one acquisition prior to um, you know, 2014, that being able to expand market share, be able to get into geography that we weren't in, to be able to create unique partnerships that we had never really ventured into was an important part of being able to get to the ends of the mean. And we use a different process. We call it a reverse Merlin. A reverse Merlin exercise says, imagine where you want to be in five years. So if I was a single man, imagining where I'd like to be, 
Yeah, I'd like to be married and with six kids. Okay, so what do you have to do over the next five years to get there? So we, we reverse Merlin. So what do you want to be in five years? And then decide what you have to do in order to be able to get there. And I would say that doing that exercise with the board and with senior management has allowed us to be able to understand what critical goals we needed to achieve and acquisitions and partnerships and getting out of Ontario, having a stronger voice in dairy were all important parts of developing that plan. Uh, but it certainly was understanding that the status quo was not an option, that what you had to do was to create a different vision. And sir, we're not the same gaily we were five years ago. We weren't the same, we're not the same gaily we were in 1958. And we won't be the same gaily in five years hence, because we'll continue to be able to, to, to move forward. So then breaking that apart, um, you know, let's start with, uh, well, the goat market. Let's start there um, because it's one of those where it also takes you off in kind of a very different direction, um, but still a local direction too. So what's the goat market like today now that, um, you know, one, you've got a big dairy processor that's obviously a big player now. Um, but two, you know, a market that's obviously had some struggles in the last couple of years, certainly on the farm level. Right. And certainly the goat market uh, certainly continues to be able to struggle. Certainly our members would, would attest to that. But I would say that what Gailey's influence on being able to uh, be within the goat industry has provided some stability for that. The ownership in Mariposa has helped us to be able to be part of the fastest growing uh, dairy, uh, goat dairy processing plant in North America. They continue to be able to grow very quickly, but also being able to provide stability of pricing and supply and being able to introduce a system uh, for our goat members that resembles sort of a quasi-quota system, but allows us to be able to balance the need uh, with the market desire. So what I've seen is we've added some stability. The goat roundtable that occurs now at the province of Ontario was a gaily initiative on being able to get all processors and producers and marketing associations sitting at the same table. That didn't happen before Gailey Foods uh, was advocating for this. Being able to get Omafra to be able to recognize and as a partner in being able to provide that avenue and venue. That's what we've been able to try and be able to provide. And I think that if you look at it from a pure dollars and cents, you might question, well, why is Gailey involved in the goat industry? Number one, it's a different four-legged animal. But what I'm especially proud of with our board is that they recognized quite quickly with the instability within the marketplace that what this was was both a value and a values-based decision. The reality is that that GOAT member, if he struggles with um, insecure income, with the fluctuation of pricing, about uh, mortality and about being able to make sure that we grow the marketplace, the reality is it's a bovine uh, next-door neighbor. And the reality is if the next-door neighbor is struggling, uh, you're going to struggle too. So Gay Lee was as much as a values decision. Uh, it doesn't mean that there isn't going to be value in this. It just means that the investment that's going to take place is an important piece of that. But certainly the goat industry is an exciting. It's an exciting. It still grows at 7 to 8% across North America that unfortunately far outstrips um, the bovine. And as people look for alternatives, um, far better to be from your neighbor's farm uh, than to be something that's maybe not related to 
um, dairy, quote unquote, at all. So you've got the new goat members. You've also got now Manitoba uh, cow farmers, dairy farmers, um, as members too. Is that just a stepping stone? Are we going to see a day where we've actually got a cooperative which has members in every province of the country? Is that is that in the five-year plan? Is that down the road? Well, I might not say it's in the next five-year plan, but if you look at those countries across the world, and uh, certainly Gailey has spent a lot of time on being able to study those examples, the countries that uh, have a healthy growing dairy industry also have a strong cooperative system. So it may not be uh, Gailey members from coast to coast to coast, but the reality is there are already co-ops from coast to coast. So that relationship and that interactiveness and that ability to be able to make sure that we stand on the same side of the fence is an important piece. may not be in the five years, but certainly Gay Lee is looking at being able to expand its reach in the Canadian marketplace from coast to coast to coast. And certainly we're being able to do that. number of, of initiatives that are taking place, a couple of listings that we've been able to achieve, that's a goal. But whether or not we have members, uh, that may not be in the next five years. But working closely with the other cooperatives in Canada, dairy cooperatives, is a critical component of our five-year plan. And again, Gailey has been one of those leads in being able to do that. Our relationship with ADL on Prince Edward Island, and certainly in our recent initiative on being able to get the balance of Canadian dairy co-ops together to be able to work together on items that are of common interest is, again, is another important leadership position that we're taking, which is definitely in the next five years. Now, you said, you know, working together in partnerships with some of these. Um, I mean, you know, one of the big competitors being AgriPure, they they went out and also picked up and merged with some. D- does that, do you see that as a vision where, you know, it becomes kind of, you know, two or maybe three big players where, you know, maybe, maybe a merge with ADL happens down the road or with other ones in order to become that coast-to-coast presence? Well, I think that the the traditional economic model says you have to own or merge in order to be able to have influence. Gailey has certainly taken the adage that a different page out of the book. The recognizing, and that's why the relationship with ADL is, is unique. It's also why our relationship with St. Albert is unique. We've come to recognize you don't have to own it or merge it to be able to make sure that you're still standing on the same side of the fence. Uh, there are unique characteristics about ADL as St. Albert as Gailey Foods. And you don't have to create a monolithic culture in order to be able to make sure that we um, uh, represent dairy. And I think one of the uh, areas that we struggle with, not only in the cooperative sector, but in the um, corporate sector, is that uh, success means a monolithic culture. And I believe that's an adage in an old business principle that has to be set aside. As I have used one phrase before, it's not so much the name on the door as the values that are inside. And I think that when you share the values, uh, you you can still have the opportunity to be able to advocate and lead. You don't have to wipe out the other cultures. And so therefore, having everybody under one umbrella is great. But you know what? It's no problem having two umbrellas. Uh, as long as you're still protecting yourself against the rain. Well, but, you know, we were talking earlier about, you know, kind of only holding that Ontario presence and not really being able to succeed. Do you, do you think you can 
hold with just kind of two or three umbrellas against some big players that obviously, you know, especially with trade deals, growing players from an international scale that have maybe more of that one umbrella mentality. Can you compete against some of that? Well, that's, that's, and that certainly is when you look at the challenges for dairy and you look at the challenge for Canadian dairy and probably even broader global dairy, that certainly is the million dollar question. Certainly Gailey Foods, um, uh, compared to the big three in Canada, uh, Saputo, Agapir, and Parmalade is certainly small. And if you look at it in the global, we're really small. But there's also uh, a movement, and you're probably seeing it within in retailing. Uh, you're starting to see it within um, even online shopping. You're being able to see it in the development of retail stores. Um, what is the slowest growing and the quickest contracting um, retail presence today, it's shopping malls. Because no longer does a consumer necessarily want a monolithic approach. You're also looking at it from the hardware store. Um, the hardware stores that are growing the fastest are the home hardware stores, a cooperative, that recognize that, that personal service when you walk through the doors is important. So it's whether or not you take a monolithic or you take a niche approach. And I believe Canadian Dairy and Gailey Foods is part of that. You can win at a niche approach. You can't be all things to all people, but you can create a niche market that you can serve well, be cost competitive, create value, and you can compete in that. But it is an eclectic issue for the entire Canadian dairy industry, and certainly you're absolutely correct with trade deals. It makes us advance that agenda much quicker. What are our natural competitive advantages? And while we want to work with cooperatives, we think we have a natural advantage as cooperatives. Now, the niche market that I see growing, um, or at least, you know, maybe even is beyond that niche, is is starting to creep into that non-dairy territory where everybody, you know, it was always just milk or butter or anything, whereas now we've obviously got more um, competition uh, for from a lot of these alternatives at a growing rate. Now... I I actually was, as I was thinking through some of this, I remembered hearing your predecessor, Mr. McGilvery, talk about his plan to introduce spreadable butter um, as this butter that would, you know, be easier spread. Selling an idea that can, contained canola oil to dairy farmers and how it didn't go real well until he came up with a concept that, you know, if we move a lot of this, we'll sell more dairy. Now, you've got a product that is actually non-dairy completely with the coconut, and I'm guessing one of the first products that Gailey would sell that's non-dairy. How did you sell that to members um, as an idea, as dairy farmer members, dairy farmer owners, that we should sell a product that doesn't contain dairy? Well, certainly, and it has not been without uh, lots of discussion. And I think that it's probably... um, a situation that most dairies will face, and especially dairy cooperatives, because we are rooted in our membership. But certainly, the certainly, and I remember well because I was certainly here when Andy was selling spreadable butter. Um, and literally, it's just been within the last seven or eight months that we finally received permission from Dairy Farmers of Canada to actually be able to put the uh, blue cow on it. It's been an 11-year journey in order to be able to get that. So it also says a lot about our need to be able to understand there is a changing marketplace and innovation is critical. But certainly for ourselves at Gailey Foods, it's about creating that niche. I'm going to go back to that niche concept. Gailey Foods is certainly the premier and competitively 
a global competitive aerosol whipped product and dairy, so cream, uh, producer globally. We can compete globally. It's about utilizing your asset. It's about using your niche abilities and what you'll be able to be good at. And as long as you don't try and mask it as dairy, um, that we can create that value. It creates the opportunity to create value for our members by making sure that we utilize our asset. And when you use your asset, and hence making dollars, it allows you to be able to reinvest in those things that you need to be able to do. I also say that, you know, and I have obviously have an opinion on that, the whole concept of, you know, non-dairy alternatives, et cetera. And I think that as a dairy industry, and this is Mike Barrett's viewpoint, so we have to be careful, it's only worth a buck and a half, is that we have to be careful that we don't focus on the non-dairy. I've taken a page out of Steve Bolton's book, uh, or added, where he talks about the credit unions have 5% of the Canadian um, banking business. They spend most of their time fighting over that nickel, as he calls it, instead of attacking the 95%. I think as a dairy industry, we should not worry about those individuals who have made lifestyle choices. We should not necessarily be critical of that lifestyle choice because right now it represents about 2.5% of the population. It's growing. It's 2.5%. We should be extolling the virtues of dairy. We should be talking about the dairy goodness. We should be having those individuals who are consumers by choice of dairy to consume more. We should be talking, not apologizing, because uh, we're dairy, but extolling the virtues. And I think that we need to be able to change that process. We shouldn't be criticizing because we're putting a little bit of canola into, into butter. We should be saying, what an opportunity that people are going to purchase this for, um, for different occasions. And spreadable butter, again, it has been a very good success story. And so that, that concept, if we take that, stop being apologetic for dairy. There's a lot of things that are right about dairy, from a nutritional value, about the sustainability piece, about rural sustainability. We've we got to stop being apologists. We really have to be able to extol the virtues, because I think we have a really good story, and I think we have really good nutritional values to be able to sell. Don't worry about the 2.5%. Let someone else argue over the 2.5%. Let's talk about that other 97.5%. Because if we just actually increase those consumers who consume dairy today, if we just get them to consume an extra liter a week or another tub of cottage cheese or another of, of dairy whipped cream, you will do more for this industry than being able to spend your time on attack ads against um, individuals who have made different lifestyle choices. Now, in that same breath, with that, um, you know, move into non-dairy, is there another move into that space? I mean, you talked about kind of, you know, filling at least that market demand there with the tools you've got and the innovation you've got. You've got lots of innovation on a whole host of products. Um, Do we see down the road where, you know, we've got a few more offerings that maybe, um, you know, even if they are only the two, two and a half percent, are a growing number and do present an opportunity that, you know, if they're not going to buy butter or if they're not going to buy cottage cheese, at least they're still buying Gay Lee. Does that come down the road? Uh, I believe it certainly does. And certainly the board and membership are talking about that now. I say it's certainly about utilizing our asset. Um, the American market, uh, it's very difficult to access because it's very difficult to move dairy across the border. And we have incredible opportunity on, on non-dairy aerosol, for example. You talked about the coconut 
um, that certainly has a whole marketplace uh, down in the United States. So I would say, yes, we'll take advantage of uh, those assets. It's not talking about moving out of the core of dairy. Dairy will always be the core. Um, but we've taken steps. You know, moving into goat was a big step. Uh, certainly being able to look at the American market in the non-dairy, uh, the first vegan approved uh, dairy or whip topping. Got to be careful because I always slide into dairy, but into whip topping. That's a big step. We have a lot of interest in the United States that so would want to be able to see that. So, yes, we'll see more of it, but that's not about abandoning. We are a dairy co-op. That's where our roots will be. But if you can, uh, to your point, be able to have individuals uh, purchase product that's made by us, it may not be labeled as Gay Lee because Gay Lee may represent the dairy part of our business, but it may be another brand, it may be another name, um, but certainly dairy will always be our core. Then just to kind of wrap up here in terms of, you talked about that five-year vision. You had that five-year plan, you did it, you have a party, isn't this great, we've done well. Now you've got the next five years ahead of you. Um, you know, what are some of those ideas and concepts that you're thinking, um, you know, that, that maybe stretch that bubble even further, not just, you know, an expansion or not just another relationship, but really, you know, force the board of directors, force the, you know, senior management to think outside the box in terms of what Gailey can become. Yes, and it may be the board uh, stretching me as well. So, because in, in, the, in the governance model, the board stretches management too. So it is a partnership. But, but certainly, I know I had earlier referenced uh, the opening of our Teeswater facility. That's a huge stretch. It's a huge stretch for Gailey Foods. It's a $70 million investment. Certainly our focus for the next five years is to be able to make sure that we can play. First nutraceutical plant. First, uh, certainly nutraceutical high-protein dryer. I had a CEO of a large company uh, say to me uh, just this week that there's no way that they would ever have made that investment. So if you're looking at stretching, that's a stretch. And I don't mean it from the sense that it wasn't a calculated uh, strategic investment. And I know people have said, well, Mike, what's going to happen now? I mean, with USMCA or Kusma or depending on which alphabet soup you're using this week, um, what does that mean? It doesn't diminish the opportunities. It creates even more opportunity. Uh, that investment is certainly going to be an important piece. It's about changing who we are because now you have to be a global player in a nutraceutical uh, industry that uh, we have, or sorry, plant that we've designed that plays in a different marketplace. It's creating different skill sets. It's also being able to, how do we utilize that plant to supplement, you know, our current production, our cheese production, things of that nature. So for us, it's about taking those investments and utilizing the Canadian market, but also it's got a global piece to it. So when you start to talk about coast to coast, coast to coast to coast, may not be a big enough dream anymore. It has to be a global dream. And again, I know I maybe sound a little bit uh, altruistic and a little bit airy-fairy, but again, the cooperative model is an important model when you're looking at global opportunity. Because again, we are values-based in the sense of being able to create markets that is just not about in and out, it's about sustainability. So when we look at opportunities, it's about creating partnerships even with other co-ops uh, in other parts of the globe that allow us to be able to invest. There's still opportunity in the Canadian market. Uh, there's opportunity in the United States market. And we still have investments here. This, this, this uh, opening of Teeswater 
is, again, the first new dryer that's opened, and I recognize there's one in Kingston that's going to open shortly. But this is the first new dryer in the Canadian marketplace since 2003 when Gailey opened the other dryer. So that is about, when you're looking at the next five years, there's a lot of change going to take place globally, and Gailey is positioning itself in order to make sure that we can take advantage of that opportunity. But our vision, as a Canadian dairy vision, it has to stretch beyond the store next door. It has to stretch to a global marketplace as well. From nutrition to how it's grown, you have lots of questions about your food. Don't waste time online trying to find the best answers. Find food and farming information you can trust right now at bestfoodfacts.org. Bestfoodfacts.org connects you with leading university experts on food and farming in North America. A credible source found across all social channels, it features over 500 answered questions and new content every week. Your food and farming questions answered. Visit bestfoodfacts.org today. Canadian consumers have lots of questions about their food. Don't let someone else tell your story for you. FarmFood360.ca is an award-winning online video project. Its mission is to help farmers, food processors, and others tell their own stories in their own words, and to be a trusted resource for consumers using high-quality video and 360-degree technology. Show the world the beauty of Canadian agriculture. Tell your story with FarmFood360.ca. Visit www.farmfoodcareon.org for details. Next time on Food Bubble, the question of sustainable livestock farming is coming up more and more. Some companies are claiming you can't produce it sustainably. Of course, as I like to say, it's easy to criticize when you're selling the alternative. Of course, there's other companies that are claiming, yes, they are producing it sustainably. So we head across the pond to find out from a livestock sustainability expert on can it be done, first of all, What's a consumer to do when they're told they shouldn't eat meat? And lots more. That's next time on Food Bubble. Food Bubble is produced by Jess Campbell, Jess Nicholson, and Ashley Ferrero. We put it together here at Fresh Air Media. We've got a new listener line of sorts in which we'd love to hear from you. You can check the show notes for the link, but the basics are you head to our platform website, record your show ideas or feedback, and that's it. Some of that we'll include in future episodes, so make sure to speak nice and clearly. Of course, if you prefer the non-vocal route in feedback, you can always find me on social media with the handle Fresh Air Farmer. I'm Andrew Campbell. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with another episode soon. 